0: There's gold in this rock. But you can't just reach down and grab it. You've got to take it through a process that's expensive and a lot of work, but we do it. Why? Because gold is valuable, and we know it. It's worth it to take the time and effort to purify it. Of course, there are things even more valuable human beings come to mind. We know the body is a wonderful, vital machine and that it's worth it to work to get harmful things out of it. So we do diets and fasts to try to detoxify, but can we take it even farther? Can we remove toxic elements not just from the tissues of our bodies, but from the thoughts and impulses of our spirits? That's what we're going to look at tonight, and in case that's not weird enough for you, we'll take a little detour to read up on the spirits Swedenborg said function like kidneys in the other world. Stay tuned. Special episode today. We didn't show the very first bit of the intro. Um, That's how how we mark our special episodes, Uh, so you know you're in one right now. Thanks for coming. My name is Curtis Childs. Welcome back to Swedenborg and Life. If it's 2 a.m. and you're watching in Sweden, thanks for staying up. Everybody else, thanks for staying up. Get your questions in, comments. We'll answer them at the end of the show. You can be part of our discussion. Today our discussion is about spiritual detoxing. We're going to look at the process of cleaning ourselves, in the the most potent sense of that word, ourselves, out, and how we can let our systems run at at peak efficiency. And yeah, we'll talk a little bit about the spiritual inhabitants of the kidneys, so why wouldn't you want to watch? Let's take a look. We're going to start section one, the divine spark. You guys recognize that, right? That's detox water? Does that make sense? Okay. The divine spark. We're We're here to talk today about the purification of the human spirit.
1: Oh, great. Another religious type thing telling me I'm dirty and evil and to feel guilty about everything I've ever done.
0: Wait, so if you're at home right now, I just realized you might be thinking that I'm just another religious thing that's trying to make you feel bad and evil. No, that's not how it is. Wait, turn the computer back on. It's just that we're here to look at the process. Like, we know that uh, gold is valuable, so we want to purify it out. We are cool as people, and that's just part of it, you know, but you've got to put the work in if the system is worth it. We filter water, we do try to watch what we eat, and it's all because of that, okay? So this is a positive sense thing. I can see how you would think this is negative, but the way I see it, This is just, this, if somebody was going to tell you eating these foods helps your system, they wouldn't, you wouldn't be upset about that. Take it in the same sort of spirit. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about what we're purifying, so we can set that up. We'll begin in Secrets of Heaven 1594, and if you're wondering what that is, it's probably your first time watching the show, these are books by Swedenborg. Click that right there, and you can get a free download of the book if you ever want to read more of what you see here. We're talking a bit about the inner self and the outer self. Our inner self is simply mutual love. Our actual spirit or soul is our intermediate self, which lives on after death. It is organic since it is linked to our body while we live in the world. This intermediate self, this soul or spirit of ours, is not our inner self, but the inner self is present within it when mutual love is present. The qualities of the inner self are the Lord's, so that our inner self can be said to be the Lord. But as long as angels or human beings live a life of mutual love, the Lord gives them a heavenly sense of autonomy. So, that's the inner self. That, that's the divine spark as we're talking about it. Deep down, we've got this love, uh, you know, that, that feeling, or that saying, I mean, we're all connected. It's all connected. People have a near-death experience or something, and they say, how could I ever feel like I wasn't part of this oneness? You know, and they do that. So, that, that saying... We're all connected. It's all connected. People have a near-death experience and they say, how could I ever have not realized that it's all one? There's that at the inner self level. However, there's also this thing that we call the outer self. Here's a list of a few characteristics of the outer self. This is not just the outer self, like the inner self is the spirit, the outer self is the body. Um, this is, these are a few lines that Swedenborg described it with, uh, which are kind of interesting, kind of hard to understand. He says, it is the physical senses as well as physical cravings and urges. Uh, also, though, facts in our memory. He also says emotions belonging to the love that permeates us, which sounds like it would be something really good, but love is a neutral term in Swedenborg because you can love something good or love something bad, so it's basically your your attitude towards life. Then sensations of your spirit, so your spirit's uh, analog to the five senses, and the lower pleasures of the spirit. So it is that all that stuff together makes up the outer self, right? So that that's how that whole thing goes, and so that that's what needs to be purified. Because as we know, there is parts of us that are not as fun to be around. You may have noticed that you have an ego. You may have noticed yourself. Uh, making life miserable at times or all the time for people around you, that and making yourself miserable through the way that the the thoughts and feelings that you're having about yourself about life. So we're looking at trying to get that thing cleaned out. So like any physical biological organism is vulnerable to toxins in the environment, disease, that kind of thing, can get polluted. Our outer self can get polluted and actually pretty much universally is polluted and one of, if not the main point of life on this planet, is to get that thing cleaned up. So let's take a look at how we could do it. This is Secrets of Heaven, 1603. This is talking a little more about the outer and inner self and the distinction. So the inner means that we're all good on the inside, but we got to clean some stuff up. The outer self is only a kind of tool or organ, in itself devoid of life that receives life from the inner self. Our inner self is called our spiritual self because it is in the light of heaven, a light that is spiritual. Our outer self is called our earthly self because it is in the light of the world, a light that is earthly. People whose inner level is in the light of heaven and whose outer level is in the light of the world are spiritual on both levels. Since spiritual light which emerges which enlightens their earthly light, and makes it their own. Oh, oh, spiritual light from within enlightens their earthly light and makes it their its own. The reverse is true for evil people. So, what we essentially have is this dynamic where there's, there's an inner thing, which is your, your eternal value is not going anywhere, but on an outer level we can be messed up. And this show is about freeing us from that messed up state. And we go, uh, Swedenborg goes into more detail about that dynamic. We're going to show you a video, this is a clip being read from his TC401.
2: In people who are spiritual, the inner parts of their mind are actually raised up toward heaven, because heaven is their predominant focus. In people who are merely earthly, however, the inner parts of their mind are turned away from heaven toward the world, because the world is their predominant focus. The more we focus on loving the Lord and our neighbor, the more spiritual our inner self is. From that inner self we think and will, and from it we even speak and act as well. On the other hand, the more we focus on loving ourselves and the world, the more our thinking and willing come from hell, although we speak and act otherwise. The Lord has provided and arranged that the more our thinking and willing come from heaven, the more our spiritual self opens and adapts. This opening is an opening to heaven, all the way to the Lord, and this adaptation is an adaptation to things that are in heaven. On the other hand, the more our thinking and willing come from the world, not heaven, the more our inner spiritual self closes and our outer self opens and adapts. This opening is an opening to the world, and this adaptation is an adaptation to the things that are in hell. People whose inner spiritual selves have opened to heaven and the Lord are in the light of heaven. They have enlightenment from the Lord and a resulting intelligence and wisdom. They see truth from the light of truth. They sense what is good from a love for what is good.
0: So what we want is more of that heaven light and less of that hell toxic smoke. How are we going to get there? And this is not a unique uh, thing to be talking about. There's a plenty of religion that has talked about this before, as the cartoon audience member was worried about. What we, what I've sort of found, especially across Christianity, but a lot of traditions, is there's sort of two extremes that it comes from. Uh, one is that you have to purify yourself, you know, you have original sin, you're filthy, and it's too much of a task, you can never do it. You know, that You're always going to not measure up, you're always going to feel guilty. That's one end of the spectrum, but then on the other side, oh man, that's hard to mirror, just believe. you you got problems if you just accept Jesus then or then everything's washed away, or you just convert to this religion, say a few lines, everything's gone, you're, you're totally clean like that. What we're going to do here, with a help from Swedenborg, is right down the middle. And it's the way that you see systems in the world working, such as the human body. That There is gunk in there, but it can be cleaned out, but it has to. It takes work, and it takes knowledge, and it takes force rightly applied. So we're going to try to give you the tools here to... Scoop, uh, scoop that stuff out and get yourself feeling a lot better. And we're going to begin with section two, Shatterings. No glass pitchers were harmed in the, the filming of this video. We're here to make something right in this section because a while ago there was a show that we did and it was called the world of spirits and there was a clip where i said this first of all there's this whole level to this learning preparation experience that's called shatterings and that is experiences wow that worked well so that was actually in a subsection of things we don't have time to get to I just mentioned that shattering, but we don't actually have time. It didn't have time in that episode to get to it, and that was probably disappointing for the people at home. But today, we are going to cover everything about shattering, so let's get to it right now. (laughs) Okay, there is no detox without symptoms. If you've ever had tried to do some kind of detox in the extreme, like a drug or alcohol detox, even if you're giving up sugar, you get headaches, any kind of detox, you can expect symptoms. And Swedenborg says there is a similar phenomena with the detoxing of the spirit. And let's talk a little bit first about what it is we want to get rid of. So this is Secrets of Heaven 1594. He says, people do not know what divides the outer self from the inner. That causes problems when those two things we discussed before are divided. The chief divisive factor is self-love, materialism too, but not so much as self-love. The reason people are unaware of this is that they live lives devoid of neighborly love, and when they do, they are incapable of seeing what a life of self-love and self-centered cravings is as contrary to heavenly love as it is. In addition, self-love and its cravings then harbor a burning flame that yields pleasure, which touches their lives so powerfully that they can scarcely believe it does not constitute eternal happiness itself." As a result, many of them also consider eternal happiness to consist in becoming influential after the life of the body ends and being waited on by others, even by angels. This despite the fact that they have no interest themselves in serving anyone, unless for the ulterior selfish motive of having others serve them. They say at the time that that they want to serve only the Lord, but this is a lie. Because people motivated by self love want even the Lord to serve them. And the less it happens, the further they withdraw. Such is the inherent character of self love, which conceals within it hatred against anyone who does not submit to us as a slave. And there you see the difference between Swedenborg's definition of self love and the modern think well of yourself, uh, feel good definition of it. He's What he's defining that phrase as is willing only good to yourself and getting upset when not everybody... would Today we'd call it e- egomania or something like that. So he says that there are some people who think heaven is just a change of scenery. You can still have that desire to control everyone in your heart and you'll just be happy because you'll get to be better than all the angels, but that's not how it goes. So we have to remove all the impulses of that from our will and our understanding, the two primary um, vessels for spiritual life that we have in us. And it's a process, and it's not easy, but it's possible, but it's not like you're gonna finish it all in a year and then be done. Not even angels have it all the way, as Swedenborg says, in Secrets of Heaven, 1594, bracket four. Uh, which we, we do a lot in that particular number. And then later on, mutual love, which is the only heavenly love, consists in not merely saying, and this is oh, this is a tough teaching, but I'll, I'll walk through it with you, consists in not merely saying, but admitting and believing that we ourselves are extremely unworthy. The reason we need to admit and believe this is that it is true. We are asked to admit and believe it not because the Lord or any angel wants us to surrender, the aim is to prevent us from puffing up with pride. It is in the measure that ideas are purified that spiritual angels are made more perfect for receiving celestial things. It is well known that even heaven is not pure in the sight of the Lord, for it is indeed true that angels are constantly being made more perfect." So that sounded a lot like you're bad and you're not good enough. Let me see if I can soften it a bit with a, with a little bit of context. Pride is toxic. Pride is probably the most toxic thing. So, as Swedenborg said at the end of that quote, it's not like God or Heaven is trying to say, look, you're not as good as us, we're better than you. It's all about removing from you the, the like, you know, heavy metal, like the worst, you know, like you can accumulate mercury in your body or something, like the worst toxins in, in the tissues, pride. Is one of those. And the reason why there is, he's saying it's true that we're unworthy or, or not that great is because of his whole metaphysics of where good and evil come from, is that we are not the generate Even if we are good people and we do good things, we're not generating that That's coming... All love comes from God initially, that everything good we do is God working with us and working against the evil in our outer nature, which is coming from hell, so there's this battle. <clears throat> excuse me, I just had a battle in my throat thing, but I won. And there's a battle there, and if God withdrew and we were just on our own, we would be overwhelmed. So we need to acknowledge that, hey, it's sort of like, you know, you go play basketball with somebody, and your big brother comes with you, and you guys win the game, but he was making all the shots. But if you go trash talk the other day, like, I beat you, you know, you did, you had to help. And that's the situation that we're all in, from God. Even angels are being worked on right then, and it actually, it's a nice place to be because nobody thinks that they're better than anyone else, because no one is better than anyone else. So that's my best pitch on that thing. And so we have, so pride's got to be removed, but also falsity in the mind has to be removed. But there's different kinds of falsity. Falsity from ignorance, like we, rather than from, from a, some kind of evil love, like a desire to harm others, and the the messed up thinking about life that brings. Just, oh, I didn't know that, I, I was taught wrong, or something. That's removed relatively easily, and Swedenborg describes it, Secrets of Heaven 1106. There are many people who, in their naivety and ignorance, soaked up falsities about religion while they were in the world, developed a certain brand of conscience harmonizing with the principles of their faith, and unlike some others, did not live a life of hatred, revenge, and adultery. So, pretty good person. You'd want them to be your neighbor, but they they have some messed up ideas about religion kind of stuff. In the next world, they cannot be admitted into a heavenly society as long as their ideas remain false because if they were, they would contaminate it. So they are kept in an underground region for some time in order to slough slough off their false assumptions there. The period of their stay in that place is longer or shorter depending on the nature of their false thinking and the kind of life it led them to adopt, and depending on the degree to which they have cemented such principles in their minds. He goes on, to say, some people suffer rather harshly there, some not so harshly. This is what is called devastation. Devastation is within the category of shattering, so we're getting to these shattering experiences here. And mention of it comes up quite often in the Word. When their period of devastation has ended, they are lifted into heaven, whereas novices they receive instruction in religious truth. The angels who welcome them are their teachers. Some are very willing to be devastated or purged, and so rid themselves of false premises they have dragged with them from the world. No one can ever shed false assumptions in the next life unless over time and through means that the Lord provides. So you can't just have it laser-beamed out of your head. you got to... it's got to go out the way it came in life experience. While they stay in the underground realm, the Lord maintains in them a hope for deliverance. He also keeps them thinking about the goal, which is to change for the better and become ready to accept heaven's happiness. Heaven is a mindset... It's not a place. It's a place, but in the spiritual world, places are based on state of mind, as Swedenborg says. So you can't just go in there without the right mindset. That, that wouldn't work. You couldn't be there because being there is having the right mindset. Does that make sense? Hopefully so. And so if you know something wrong, you get taught to the contrary. If And you notice in there it said, if you don't grip onto it, if you're willing, it's easier. Otherwise, you gotta get a little bit Uh, roughed up in order to shake the mind loose, and we'll talk about that uh, right now. This is a list of uh, shatterings, right, that Swedenborg describes, shattering states. There's one where people remain in a state between waking and sleeping, sometimes waking up and remembering things done during bodily life. This causes a kind of purging or purification, and this is a really light one. This is like the one that God in heaven would want for everybody. This is the easiest one. It's just sort of like, oh, I had a bad dream. I'm having a little bit of sort of uh, repentant nostalgia for life, and okay, now I'm now I'm fixed, let's go up to heaven. So there's one. The next kind is being reduced. This is a little tougher. If if we were really grabbing on something, being reduced to total ignorance and spending time feeling a dark and painful confusion. This is to reset the mind of someone who has had really become confirmed in misguided principles so they can then absorb true principles. And you think about somebody who is really rigid, who you feel like has an inaccurate idea of what life is like or what people are like or whatever, and they're grabbing onto it, and that's just, that's how things are. That, if you're, if life continues to serve you and you're not going through any sort of tribulation, you're never going to let go of that. But, so you're let down into a place of bottoming out a bit, and that's when you're finally willing to accept the mindset. And the reason they want you to accept the truth is then you can go up to heaven. Much better there, much better place to hang out. Okay, that's the second one. Let's look at the third one. This is a state of hallucinations, and this is interesting. It's where you're sort of living in a false world, spending time in hallucinations that correspond to false thinking. This is something Swedenborg reported. People who think good deeds earn them credit for getting into heaven will find themselves in a hallucination where they seem to be cutting wood from a large wood pile, and that's a correspondence that they think they're they're fashioning their own good, as I talked about before, or a hallucination where they are mowing grass and trying to warm themselves up with the work because they feel cold. So that's something that's sort of an effect of your mindset until you learn to abandon it. And then finally, last one is <laughs> that's uh, the best picture of a like a disciplinarian that we could find. Uh, young people who had gotten into habits of immoral behavior, not really realizing it was wrong, might spend time with a strict tutor who reprimands them to get them out of those habits. As we said, anyway, he saw it for himself. And that, if you think about it, once I was shown, I was in a writing course in college, and we went to go see, there was this, it was called, uh, I forget exactly what it was called, but it was a state-run sort of boot camp for troubled youth. You know, this was kids who had maybe gotten in trouble with the law a few times and were right on the edge of getting into the system and in and out of jail and no no kind of good life. They really wanted to, this is the time when we can get to them. And so there's this thing, this program they could opt to do, which was like boot camp in the military. You you do exercises, you sleep in a cot, you have to fold all your stuff really nicely, everything's really neat, You, you all the time is regimented. And this was to try to get there, snap them into shape and give them some skills, teach them how to work within a structure, how to have self-discipline, give them something else to do with their energy. So that's the kind of thing I imagine with a tutor. So you can see all those shattering experiences are based on where where you are. It's, it's best tailored to you. And so that's what Swedenborg says happens in the next world. Of course, those are just a few examples, but the process is pretty universal of if we're going up We've got to get the, the toxic misconceptions, we've got to detox those out of the mind. However, we don't have to do that when we get to the spiritual world. You can actually do that right now, as Swedenborg says in Secrets of Heaven 1112. People who had immersed themselves in the good effects and true ideas of faith, on the other hand, and who had in this way acquired conscience and a life of charity, are raised into heaven by the Lord immediately after death. You're not going to these shattering kinds of experiences because it's like hazing. It's only if there's a purpose. Nothing that's unpleasant is allowed unless better good is coming from it. So for a little while you might feel confused and alone, but then you're going to be, go to the, the profound, deep, lasting happiness of heaven. So that's how it works, and supposedly that's the same thing with the life experiences we go through here. They're painful, but they're finite, and the good that comes out on the other side is better. Okay? so. Let's get to what we've all been longing for, let's talk about the spiritual kidneys. This is how we started making this show, was we were looking through finding uh, the, the stuff Swedenborg wrote about the kidney spirits, and we'll get there soon. Let's start from the top, though about the kidney in general and and what does it have to do with spirituality. So let's take a look at the text of the Bible, which is a pretty famous spiritual document. The Bible, you'll find, mentions kidneys. It mentions kidneys a lot, and it's funny because you don't really hear... In society, we only really talk about kidneys when there's a problem with them or something. It's not something... it's not like my heart that that comes up a lot in conversation. Why is the Bible mentioning them, and why in that context? (laughs) So for those questions to be answered, we got in touch with our resident Bible expert, this is Dr. Jonathan Rose, talking a little bit about what are these kidneys doing here?
3: The Bible uses the um, term for kidneys in the Hebrew and also once in the Greek. It uses the term for kidneys in expressions of heart and kidneys. A number of times that have been translated as heart and mind uh, often, or uh, heart and thoughts, things like that. Uh, so they make a substitution. Uh, now, why would the translators do that when there's such an obvious word, kidneys, in there uh, in the original biblical text? The reason is that everybody could tell uh, f- from, you know, a thousand years ago that this was being used in a non anatomical way. You know, it was being used to describe what is deep within the human spirit. When you think about where your kidneys are, they're they're not out on the surface, you know, they're sort of buried deep in your body. And so uh, the ancients used them to describe processes of thought that went on deep inside yourself. And so The translators realized they don't literally mean kidneys, so they would swap out what they felt they were talking about, which is about thought. Uh, To Swedenborg, it's important that it says, kidneys, because the kidneys have a correspondence. And uh, the Bible often does things like this. A bizarre example is, instead of saying, don't be angry, it says, don't let it grow hot in your nose. There are things like this that that the Bible says, you know, so this is typical of the Bible to use a very concrete expression for a psychological or an inward process.
0: So it's important that it says kidneys in Swedenborg land, because kidneys have a specific correspondence. But what is that correspondence? Back to you, Dr. Jonathan.
3: Obviously the function of the kidneys has something to do with purification. It's removing impurities from the blood, casting off things that you don't want, and keeping things that you do want. Swedenborg says that this corresponds to a function in our minds, and it's fascinating what he says. Basically, when you think about all the thoughts that you have, all the junk that can accumulate in your head. Some of your ideas are just of higher quality than others. The kidneys are like your best ideas, your most accurate. When you get clarity, that's like your kidneys. And then if you get a really clear idea of something, if you get some clarity on something, often lots of other things are murky, but you got that one thing. Well, this is for sure. We're not doing that. So then what you do is you run all your other ideas through the filter of that clearest idea that you have, and that will help you separate out. That's a good idea. This is not so great. This has a good element in it, so we'll keep that, but the rest of it we can reject. So it's about our thinking. When the Bible says that God looks at our heart and our kidneys, what it's talking about is the fact that the Lord doesn't bother um, looking, so to speak, at our spiritual toenails or, you know, the hair inside your ear or something like that. He wants to look at the best feelings and the best thoughts that we have, because that kind of tells him who we are. What's what's our best shot? So our best thinking and our best feelings that we've had are what scripture means by the heart and and the kidneys to see what's best in us. And that's
0: something Swedenborg talks about as well in Secrets of Heaven, number 10,032. Yeah, it goes all the way up into the 10,000s. This is a multi-volume work. I don't even know what volume this one is from. Depends on what translation it is. Examining the kidneys closely and testing them means exploring the truths of faith. And exploring the heart closely and testing it means exploring forms of the good of love. By the kidneys are meant truths that serve to explore, purify, and correct. They derive this meaning from the function they perform. The kidneys signify the truths of faith and the purification of them from falsities. It is because the purification of the blood is performed in the kidneys, and by blood in the word is signified truth." Uh, Correspondence. Maybe that gives you a sense of correspondence. That what, what the kidneys do for the body, particular truths do for the spirit. It's the same sort of filtration. Just like blood is coursing through the body, bringing oxygen to everything, keeping it alive, truth is coursing through the spirit, performing an analogous spiritual function. And here, we'll do one more little uh, quote about that, and this is uh, where Swedenborg is commenting on one of these kidney Bible verses. He was in the last one too, but here we actually have the Bible verses, Jeremiah 12, 1-2. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? You have planted them, yes, they have taken root. They grow, yes, they bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but far from their kidneys. And then Swedenborg says, By being near in the mouth and far from the kidneys is meant truth only in the memory, and thence in some of his thoughts when a person speaks, but not in the will and thence in act. Truth in the will and thence in act is what separates and dissipates falsities. Truth in the will and thence in act is to will and do what a person knows and thinks to be truth. This truth is what specifically, is what is specifically meant by kidneys. So you know what the best thing to do is, but do we always act on it, you know? When, when we do know, do we always put that in? Or you hear something that that, I really shouldn't be living like that. Or you hear something about the way life is for other people, and you, oh, that's probably true, but do you always compensate for that when you're acting with them? That is the principle here. So we have this kidney system, which is to live by these truths, but if we don't do it, we get messed up spiritually, if we don't let the spiritual kidneys do their job. And so now we're going to go down the road to the kidney spirits, or we're going to talk about the kidney spirits, but to be there, we got to set a bunch of foundations. So first, let's talk about how this process of cleansing out of the mind or spirit works in the world. So for that, we turn to uh, author Peter Rhodes, who's been on the program before, and we wanted him to talk a little bit about how do we prevent our spiritual kidneys from working while we're here? And that comes through denial. So I asked him to talk a little bit about denial uh, in life and particularly around addiction. So here's what he had to say.
4: Well, I guess I'll speak a little bit from my own experience. Um, They say in addictions you have denial, minimization, rationalization. I guess it's the way the ego protects itself from being seen for what it really is, which is a force that makes your life not only unmanageable but miserable. Ruins relationships and so forth. So it has to protect itself. So it often points to other people as the problem. Or that's not such a big problem if you go drinking, you know, what, only three times a week, right? I mean, uh, and you have to get away from the kids and they're yelling and screaming. I know your wife's upset about that, but I've talked to the guys down at the club and they all agree that, you know, it's really important to get out and relax a little. all the hard work you do. So it's like <clears throat> the ego-based mind, the thinking mind, really wants to put itself in the greatest, best light. Even though if you really shine the truth on it, uh, it's selfish and self-centered. It's a jerk, and it causes like, trouble. So a rationalization and minimization, if you have an addiction, uh, you're started out. At least I started out doing because I liked it. I like drinking. I like the other things too Uh, and then gradually you aren't doing it, it's doing you and you lose power Uh, but the addict and the addiction like what they're doing and it says uh, your addiction would have killed you a long time ago except it needs transportation well you are the transportation you're the means by which in my faith they believe hell can flow in through your love of self and love of the world part of love of the world is pleasures uh, you know lust and so forth so it wants to continue doing what it's doing in fact it wants to continue to grow But uh, so it doesn't want you to catch on that you've lost control and you're no longer going out to drink drinking is bringing you out the body, the transportation out to enjoy the pleasures that it has may not only be drinking or maybe you're doing some things you shouldn't be doing your wife shouldn't find out you're doing it down that club or the kind of club you went to <clears throat> all these things um are muted by that ability to minimize rationalize and justify
0: so that is the phenomena of denial and that would be like nothing's getting through the kidneys but what do we need to do to fix that what has to happen to get somebody who's not seeing what's going on to see what's going on so peter talked more about that
4: well they call it hitting bottom uh uh in one uh uh, nowadays in the headlines a couple justices were just sharing some pornography you know just pornography you know some statements about racism and sexism and stuff like that They were having a good time they weren't doing anything wrong and all of a sudden, now they've hit bottom. They may lose their job. They may lose their relationship. Uh, so if you've had your fifth DUI and they take your license from you and you're a truck driver, you, you just it may have come to your attention what people have been telling you for years. You're drinking too much. You're out of control. But you don't know that. So hitting bottom is one thing. Uh, one of our I don't know, a friend of mine woke up and saw himself on TV. That he was being indicted and they were going through his office to look for a child pornography. He said that's quite a wake-up call. <laughs> so my wake-up call with alcohol is much a lot easier. I just happened to be in a camp situation and they had a camp meeting about somebody who had brought alcohol onto state ground when they shouldn't have. And it wasn't a big deal. They just wondered what to do about it. Well when they called the meeting I just put down my <laughs> fifth of Johnny Walker red So when they were talking, it came to my attention that, oh, if I brought alcohol here, I didn't think it was a problem, just drinking in my office, writing down my talk. But they think it's a problem. And I started feeling hot, and I was like, maybe I do have a problem. So that was a sort of sneaky wake-up call, and it could have been a lot worse. You know, you can be in an accident, lose some lives, you know, to find out. So yeah, sometimes it, it dawns on you, You know for the hundredth time you say i'm not going to drink at the party tonight because i do things i shouldn't do and you do it one more time so sometimes it's slow sometimes it's fast but something i think has to break through the pleasure of that insanity this is this price of this pleasure of insanity whether it's drunkenness or spending or gambling or hope or whatever it is the price is too much for what you're getting and then you want to stop and then you find you can't. Now you got a real problem.
0: So, something needs to happen to snap somebody out of it. They call it hitting bottom to get you to realize oh, the price of this is not worth it. That's an element of beginning the, the detoxing process. Keep that in mind before we get to the kidney spirits, but we got to lay one more foundation, which is we got to talk about the physical kidneys. We got to understand how they work because there's a, there is spiritual wisdom in the structure of physical things, that they are a mirror of what's happening spiritually. So we're here we're going to learn just a little bit about kidneys, how they work, uh, there's some things I didn't know about it, and have your correspondences hat on, meaning, think about if the if this description of the kidney is representative of a description of self, uh, of purification of the the thoughts and the feelings in us, how does that work? And, and you know, he's going to talk about some toxins and what might those be. So just, just take it in, in that way. Okay, so here's who uh, here we're going to hear a little bit about how the physical kidney works.
5: I'm talking about overview of, of renal function, doctor terms, renal function, kidney function. We are constantly filtering blood. We, we produce a, a lot of waste and some of it really, really toxic to us and some toxic in relatively short periods if we don't get rid of it somehow. So we are constantly filtering blood through um, kidneys. We initially filter out a whole lot of material that we eventually take back. Uh, Blood enters, runs through a little kind of ball of all these capillaries, a single glomerulus, multiple glomeruli. Blood goes through there. A lot of it gets filtered out as filtrate fluid that will eventually become urine. And there's a, a whole lot of water there, lots of nitrogenous nitrogen based waste that's the the real biggie that's the stuff that if that builds up that'll become really toxic really quickly so lots of nitrogen based waste most of that comes just from from our metabolism breaking down proteins things along those lines lots of um, lots of electrolytes sodium potassium calcium toxins drugs a lot of drugs end up being cleared through urine so there's
0: a lot of different kinds of toxins, and what are those? Which are the ones in life that very quickly become toxic? Which are the ones that build up and eventually we need to get out? Think about things like that. And he says that it's not all, as soon as something goes into the kidney, it's gone. So in our life, there are things that maybe aren't serving us, but they just need to be cleaned up and then they can be pulled back in. He describes the process here.
5: So we filter all those things out initially. That fluid then, though, Runs through the these long loops through a kidney, where we have an opportunity to resorb, take a lot of it back to actually put it back into our own bloodstream. the The best example there being water. We end up, we end up taking back, resorbing about 90 percent of that, or 99 percent of that initially filtered water. We would lose way too much water. We would become quickly dehydrated if we didn't have a chance to recapture that. We also recapture a lot of other things based on on needs. So we have filtered out, say, a lot of sodium. But then as that filtrate runs through a kidney, through lots of, dis- lots of different complicated, complicated sensing mechanisms, we say, wait a minute, I need some of that sodium back. and the, And the body takes it back to the the bloodstream. At a certain point, once it hits another tube, it is then urine and we cannot get it back. Then it's, it is gone. So then once the urine gets to the bladder, say, I can't get that back. If I'm getting dehydrated, but I have a a nice full bladder, it's too bad. It's already gone.
0: What in the mind can, does, needs to be cleaned out, but can go in, get filtered a bit, then pulled back? You know, and when is it, gone like that that has to go this is this is bladder stuff by now so a little potty talk for you those two parts laid and then finally uh we're ready to take a look at the kidney spirits themselves so let's go into our uh, our doctor's office here uh this would be the, a doctor's office you'd walk into and say i think i'm going to find a different doctor <laughs> you have a picture of kidney spirits on your wall this is from swedenborg's journal of spiritual experiences 367 he says, spirits who compose the kidneys are those who like to dispel falsities from truths, thereby purify spiritual things, which takes place in an incomprehensible way. From this arises the process of separation in the kidneys. A couple notes on that. First of all, watch our episode called The Shape of Heaven, which is all about the grand human being, which is a Swedenborgian concept that he says spirits of the kidneys, there's, that spirits in the next life play the roles that the human body... There, this is hard to explain. There's all of the spiritual world resembles a human in terms of function, or all of heaven resembles a human being in terms of function, meaning just like there are kidneys physically in us human-shaped creatures, there are mechanisms that are made of spirits <clears throat> doing things that provide that in heaven. So he's talking about these spirits that purify that out, but also he says that... Um, that uh, this is something that it will, you know, we'll get to it in a second. Let's just take a look at our next one. Um, This is from, this is further on from Spiritual Experiences 5382. Many times I have learned from experience that spirits who make up the region of the kidneys and ureters are ready and willing to examine or investigate the character, the thoughts, and the intentions of others. So, nosy people. They itch to uncover grounds for action and to accuse people of faults, mainly so they can discipline them. I've also talked with them about this obsession and aim. Many of this type, while they were alive in the world, were judges who privately rejoiced when they found an excuse, a justifiable excuse in their eyes, for penalizing, chastising, and punishing people. The activity of spirits like this is felt in an area toward the back of the body where the kidneys, ureters, and bladder are located. So Swedenborg could feel when these spirits approached him. He writes about it in his journal. He would actually feel them in a part of the body, and that's how he could tell what these spirits were like. So these are not that nice of people. They like to point out people's faults. They like to punish, which angels don't like to punish. So these are are not quite angels. Angels never want to punish anyone, but the kidney spirits will do it, and that's part of why they're useful, because that negative urge to point out someone's faults can be used for good in order to free that person from those faults if they refuse to see them any other way. Let's look at one more passage about kidney spirits. This is Spiritual Experiences 960-962. to Those who are in the province of the kidneys and the adrenal glands divert grosser elements into themselves, and thus purify those which must be very pure. So by pointing that stuff out, they actually eventually pull it into themselves. It may be known that both the urinary kidneys and the superaneal glands divert unclean elements into themselves. When the purer thoughts are raised up from a person, then bodily and thus more unclean elements also follow along in double file, or like pace. Those elements are compatible with the the spirits who constitute the province of the kidneys and who bring them into it. So stuff that would be toxic to you, they can take. Those in that province therefore concentrate their mind on them, and thus draw them away from the purer elements, so that the purer elements are raised up toward heaven without an unclean companion." So it's freeing people so they can go up. They work by a process of attraction, this being the way the organ functions. In like manner do the spirits in that province work, because that is their nature. No sooner does a corresponding spiritual condition arise in the purer purer realm, whereby bodily elements a person or soul brings along cannot be separated, those spirits, by a cooperative force that works in proportion to the outreach of their field of energy, join in. They arouse and attract those bodily elements, and thereby free the better and purer elements from the, from the more impure, in fact, filthy and rotten ones. It is evil spirits, therefore, who wipe them away. But they do not become the worst for it, but are obliged to perform such functions before they become better, or are reformed." There you have it. That's raw stuff. That, he, was, he wasn't going to publish his journal of spiritual experiences, but it often has some of the coolest stuff in it, in my humble opinion. He's there describing these are not nice people, but they're not nice, this can be used by the grand plan for good, because they attract this negative stuff into them, pull it out. It doesn't hurt them. They can actually be better, even by going through this process, and the people that they pull that stuff out of, they then can go up. And that is how this whole shattering process works. It's only brought on so that we can be freed and move up. And a point worth noting is that what, we're, what the kidneys in the body, and so this whole spiritual system is really looking for, is balance. I mean It's not really uh, just about taking out, it's about having the right balance. And we have uh, Chelsea, who works at the foundation, commenting on that a bit.
1: The blood system needs a balanced hydration level. So you need water, but then you also need ionic salts to keep, and it's a constant... Um, you know, homeostatic balance that the kidneys are working together with the body to maintain. Um, from a Swedenborgian perse- perspective, what I think is so cool is, so water is um, truth, according to Swedenborg, and so you need an abundance of truth in the system to keep it functioning properly, but the balance of that is salt. And it's interesting that in, in the Bible and in Swedenborg, salt can, um, it's these ionic compounds, positive and negative charged particles that can be salt that are soluble in water, and they relate to um, the desire to marry goodness and truth or love and wisdom together. That
0: That is cool. Uh, as far as correspondences go, your kidneys physically are trying to regulate it so that your body doesn't have too much water or too much salt. And what those symbolize on a spiritual level is too much truth or too much desire to do things. What you need is a balance. You need the truth in your mind but you also have to have enough of a will to go do things. You just get too much truth, builds up, you know a lot of stuff, you're not helping anyone, that's no good. Or you just want to do things, but you're not well informed. It's got to be this balance. You know what's true, and you're going out to do it. So I think that that's cool. And the ideal is that we're doing these processes on our own. This whole thing, this whole shattering section would, would be best avoided. I mean, that, that's not, it's not like God and, and angels want to shatter people. They would rather have us just circumnavigate the whole thing, and we can do that primarily through the gift of reflection, which just happens to be the title of our next section. So let's take a look. There's something that we need to remember. As we begin this section and it's coming from our friend chelsea
1: but so even though we have these kidneys that are amazing that will filter our blood or we have all the lymphatic system passing lymph through our tissues to um, support our immune systems that's all there but obviously if we're not exercising um or using the musculoskeletal system then um it's very quickly, uh, the, the systems can sort of start to shut down.
0: The systems are there. If we don't use them, they don't do anything, physical or spiritual. But the good news is the deck is stacked to help us use these systems. In fact, Swedenborg says that everything we see is, offers us a means for reflection. This is Divine Love and Wisdom 63. There is some reference to the human form and everything in the created universe, but we are able to see this fact only obscurely. In the spiritual world, though, people see this clearly. Everything in the animal, vegetable, and mineral kingdoms exists there as well, surrounding each angel. Angels see these things around themselves and and are aware that they are pictures of their own selves. In fact, when the very heart of their understanding is opened, they recognize themselves and see their own image in their surroundings, almost like a reflection in a mirror." And I think about a lot of in- indigenous cultures who have sort of nature symbolism, uh, where they're, you know, particular animals mean certain things, and actions of animals mean... And is that sort of seeping in from the way that heaven sees things? So we can work with this process by seeing... Even if we can't understand the message everything is sending at us, we can do it by self-reflecting, and Swedenborg spells this out in his Journal of Spiritual Experiences. So this is being read from there along with some graphics to uh, lift the spirit. So here it is.
2: I was just conversing with spirits and angels about reflection, to which I do not know whether people have given enough attention, and it was said that if they give it some thought, they will discover more secrets in the doctrine of reflection than in any other. When we do not reflect on the things in our own mind, or our motivation, how we are thinking, what we are thinking, what we are doing, what is motivating our actions, without reflection we know nothing, except that we are, and nothing else, not what we are. On the other hand, if we reflect upon ourselves from the viewpoint of others, or allow others to reflect upon us, and to say what we are like, then for the first time we are able to know ourselves. Otherwise we can never learn, but remain in our own illusions and from them reflect upon others. So one thinks truths are falsities, because one is judging from one's illusions. For such as the starting point is, such also is everything that follows. Spirits especially stay after death in a state devoid of reflection. This is also the reason that they cannot tell but that they are earthly people living in the world as before. So they remain in their illusions and live on as the character they had been at death. But as soon as the power of reflection is given them by the Lord, they know that they are in the other life, a belief to which they can hardly be brought until they are given something, or rather, many things, to reflect on. But illusions rooted into their character still remain, Consequently, spirits cannot at all help thinking that they are better than the rest, especially those who had been arrogant in life, those who dislike being reflected upon. However, when they are brought into a state of reflection, they are brought into a state of better life, for then for the first time they are able to know themselves and know more truly what they are. Moreover, even the doctrine of faith accomplishes nothing at all with people, unless the Lord enables them to reflect. That is the very reason why people learn what is good and true from the word of the Lord, namely, so that from what they learn, they may reflect upon themselves as to whether they are as they ought to be. This reflection is given them at certain times, especially times of distress. It is of the utmost importance, therefore, to learn truths, Without spiritual knowledge, there can be no reflection, thus no reformation. However, they who fall into passions and illusions are unable to reflect from a viewpoint of truths until those chills and those shadows have been dispelled.
0: Truths can push out illusions. So, what do you guys think about that whole thing?
1: Wait, so I'm supposed to spend my time worrying and obsessing obsessing over what people people think think of me?
0: Okay. All right. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. That's not what it means at all. I can see how you might think that. Um, Yeah, right. You don't want to just, like, think, what are people thinking about me and have that run your life. That's not what that meant, because people are thinking about you from their own illusions in the first place. But also, afterwards, let's consider it from this perspective. Um, There is something to the idea of letting other people reflect on you. Uh, or thinking about your impact from their perspective. If you're only thinking about, how do I affect myself, then you can't ever get to feel like, how does it affect someone else to be me? How does me being like I am, doing what I do, affect them? And this, you can kind of see the the spirit around it in these things from uh, near-death experience quotes. So let's take a look from near com. This is people who have gone through life reviews and had processes of reflection. You can see the love in it. A life review, seeing and re-experiencing major and trivial events of one's life, sometimes from the perspective of the other people involved and coming to some conclusion about the adequacy of that life and what changes are needed. So that's something that you go through and that that is, you know, like a a part of the whole thing, but you'll see the attitude behind it here. So here's the next quote from neardeath.com. The being of light a person encounters almost immediately directs a certain thought to the person into whose presence it has come so dramatically. Usually the persons with whom I have talked try to formulate the thought into a question. Among the translations I have heard are, are you prepared to die? Are you ready to die? What have you done with your life to show me? And what have you done with your life that is sufficient? The first two formulations which stress preparation might at first seem to have a different sense from the second pair, which emphasize accomplishment. It goes on to say, Incidentally, all insist that this second kind of question, ultimate and profound as it may be in its emotional impact, is not at all asked in condemnation. The being, all seem to agree, does not direct the question to them, to accuse or to threaten them, for they still feel the total love and acceptance coming from the light, no matter what their answer may be. Rather, the point of the question seems to be to make them think about their lives, to draw them out. It is, if you will, a Socratic question one asked not to acquire information but to help the person who is being asked to proceed along the path to the truth by himself that 's the same spirit by which we 're looking at how do I, how do I affect other people not how, what do other people think of me in their own messed up minds, but how do I make other people feel? what is my impact so that 's the reflection, and we have that reflection as an asset that we can use. Swedenborg comments on a passage from Psalm 16, where it says, I will bless Jehovah who has given me counsel nightly. Also do my kidneys chastise me. There's that kidneys thing again. Nights represent the state of a person when falsities rise up. The combat in such case of truths against the falsities is represented by my kidneys chastise me. So we have these truths that are useful in the states of night. So gather your truths, figure out what, what can help me when, I, when I'm when i not seeing things clearly. And that's what you can use, and we all. So we, we, and it's only through reflection that we can even know we're in a nighttime spiritual state. We got to see: Am I my best self now? And sometimes you need a friend or somebody outside you to say, "Look, that's messed up. You need to snap out of it." Or even as you saw in that diagram, you can read, uh, you know, your spiritual truths and find those, and those can be kind of a reference point for for at least keeping tabs on: Am I way out of order? Am I close? Am I good? So. You have that, and you also want to reflect on what are my major patterns, uh, my negative cycles, what's going on? And this is very well uh, described in looking at the physical example of a kidney stone, which which led to a question that, that Dr. Higgins describes here.
5: But eventually we need to find out why this person formed a stone fairly frequently. If you make one, you're going to make another one later on. And then some of those genetic groups, I've known families where you have four or five brothers who all get kidney stones. So then finding out the, the why will hopefully get you to the point where they don't have to go through that, that kind of pretty painful situation anymore.
0: So what causes the kidney stone? That's the question. What's going on here that keeps leading me to this negative stuff? And you don't always know the answer, um, You know, physically, we can't always figure out what's going wrong. Spiritually, you don't. So you're not expecting total clarity, but we're just trying. We're just trying. You can't guarantee yourself 100% health. You can try. You can research. You can put some effort into it. So we're going to give an example of effort in the next section with something as simple as the washing of feet. Let's take a look at part five. Okay, so here we're going to be discussing the correspondence of washing feet, which is cleaning that outer self. The feet are like the outer self. Remember, in the very beginning of the show, we talked about the outer self and the inner self. The inner self is set. It's mutual love, is one with God, it's fine, but this outer ego part of us could use uh, some deodorant every now and then, even Jesus Christ needed to be gradually purified according to Swedenborg. He had the divine inner self, but he had this outer self, like any of us, which we're going to talk about at length next week. Spoiler alert. Let's take a look. Secrets of Heaven, 1813. The Lord alone, and Swedenborg uses that term to refer to Jesus, the Lord alone became the epitome of uprightness on behalf of the whole human race. He alone fought out of divine love, which is love for the whole human race, whose salvation was the one thing he sought and sought ardently in his battles. In respect to his human side, the Lord was not born a model of uprightness or justice, but became one by fighting his battles and winning them, and doing so under his own power. Every time he fought and won, it contributed bit by bit to his transformation into a model of justice, until finally he became pure justice. So even God was doing it through order in increments, and we too can do this process in little increments, but we have to work with it regularly, as Chelsea pointed out in this clip.
1: Part of this is just the importance of regular exercise, physically for our bodies, um, but also spiritually, uh, some sort of spiritual discipline or practice of self-reflection. Um, or for me as a yoga practitioner, I like the way that that combines the two where you you have a physical practice that's strengthening and supporting flexibility, but just built into the, the um, you know, scriptures about yoga is that it's also sort of a symbol of the self-reflection that, you know, turning inward and studying yourself um, that's so important. In one book called The Yoga of Discipline, Guru Mai Chidvalasananda has a chapter on sweeping the path clean every day, that that's just something we need to do or else dirt and everything is going to build up. So that's true spiritually and it's true physically in our bodies, that it's something we need to engage in regularly.
0: How do we sweep the path? To mix metaphors, how do we do the little things that are equivalent to washing hands, washing feet? Uh, what do we do? I'm going to give you a moment to reflect on it, because obviously the answer is different for everybody. Well, what what I need to do is not the same as what you need to do, and vice versa, of course. So what is it? We're going to give you images to look at. This is our correspondence segment where we're just going to show a couple images, washing hands, washing feet, and then that detox water for the symbol of washing the inside. What are those practices in your life? Take a moment, we'll have some music, and, and see what comes up. That's the question to take away for today. Uh, if if you gain nothing else from this, let's look a little closer at the washing of feet and what that symbolizes. It's the secrets of heaven, three one four seven. In the representative religion, and so Swedenborg is talking about old you know, religious practices that are, are symbolic uh, and had this inner meaning that sometimes even their practitioners didn't realize. It was customary for people to wash their feet with water, which symbolized the rinsing away of filth in the earthly self. The filth of the earthly self is everything connected with self-love and materialism. Goodness and truth flow in when this grime has been rinsed away. And that's the point. We want you to have the goodness and truth. That's why. We don't want you to think you're bad. We want you to get that goodness and truth. Because it is the only thing that keeps goodness and truth from flowing in from the Lord. Good from the Lord is always acting on us, but when it passes through our inward or spiritual self to our outward or earthly self, our earthly self either corrupts it, shunts it aside, or strangles it. However, when the effects of self-love and materialism are removed, goodness is welcomed by our earthly self and bears fruit, because we then do charitable deeds. Besides, washing other people's feet was a sign of neighborly love, which said, I will not meditate on your faults. And I like that. That's a good thing for me to remember, for everyone to remember, don't meditate on people's faults. And that's what the washing, oh, I'm going to wash your feet, if people did that, Jesus wanted to wash the disciples' feet, I'm not going to meditate on your faults faults. And even those faults are not hopeless. They could eventually turn into strengths. I think about the kidney spirits, that they have this fault of wanting to investigate people and condemn them, but that it turns into good. And even in us, we reform something, just like in the kidneys, it's working its way out, but then we pull it back. Probably the places where we were weak, we can become strong, because we know the negative side to it. So it's hope. And also, speaking of hope, Let's remember what this whole thing is all for. It's all for love. The Spiritual Experiences 693, Swedenborg describes it. All in the least occurrences in the other life are aimed toward adjoining together through love. Whatever happens in the other life, such as punishments, purgings, and many more things, all in the very least tend toward the goal of developing societies whose members harmonize, as if they were one person, and this takes place only through a love for the Lord, and thus for one's companions. This love is never achieved when one person wants to be greater than the other, which results in disunion and rejection, nor when one wants to stand out above the others in some respect. On the contrary, it is achieved when one wants to be least and to serve the rest. Thus, when all mutually want to serve one another, they are united, and each receives happiness from everyone individually and thus from the whole. Now, you may or may not like that, but I think that's beautiful. I think that's gorgeous. So Think of the progress that you've already made in your life. It can seem like you're not, but look back. There are ways of thinking about life, there are refinements in you now that you didn't have then. I know it. I bet. And remember the goal, the goal of this whole thing, all this whole life that we're slogging our way through. Swedenborg lays it out, Divine Providence 27, in our last number of the night. The Lord did not create the universe for His own sake, but for the sake of people He would be with in heaven. By its very nature, spiritual love wants to share what it has with others, and to the extent that it can do so, it is totally present, experiencing its peace and bliss. Spiritual love gets this quality from the Lord's divine love, which is like this in infinite measure and then follows that divine love and therefore divine providence, has the goal of a heaven made up of people who have become angels and are becoming angels, people with whom it can share all the bliss and joy of love and wisdom, giving them these blessings from the Lord's own presence within them. Not such a bad goal. Hopefully you felt a little bit of that magic tonight, Uh, and if you did, feel free to uh, like and subscribe to this channel. Yeah, I did segue from an inspirational movement to s- shameless self-promotion, so it goes. Uh, that If you like this message, doing these things will help it spread out to the greater YouTube community and thus to the world. And if you really want to get things going, feel free to make a donation. The Swedenborg Foundation is a nonprofit, so it relies on donations to do things like talk about kidney spirits for an hour plus. So thanks very much for considering. We're going to get to your questions now right on the other side of this quick video break. Alright, I said it and I meant it. We're going to take a look at questions now. This is the part of the show where everything goes downhill because I never know the answers. Let's see what the first question is. Diana, do evil spirits attack us physically and mentally during the time of detox to keep us in their power, or is the Lord testing us before accepting us in heaven? Answer, option one, uh, God never attacks us. Heaven never attacks us. Only evil attacks. Swedenborg says that Evil spirits feel most alive when they're attacking. Angels feel most alive when they're defending. So any attacks that you receive is evil spirits. Now, God is the one loosening the reins a little bit so that they can, that actually they can be put to use. You know, you think about like uh, decomposing animals, uh, like animals that, (laughs) don't think about decomposing animals. I'm talking about vultures, things that eat decomposing animals material that help keep the ecosystem clean. In the same way, these spirits are coming at you, they want to cause harm, but God is using them in a way. They just do a little bit so that we get better. So that is, the attack is hell, and angels are right there keeping it all from going too far and providing us with the comfort afterwards and lifting us up. So as Swedenborg says, don't tell evil spirits that they're actually helping in the long run. They don't that don't like to hear it as he reported it. But they are. Okay, great question. Great answer, Curtis. Thanks, man. I'm trying my best. Number two. This is William. Kurt, so if God knows everything about us and crafted us all so also that we are somehow correspond with genetics, are we treated differently than others would be in situations due to the mistakes of our family? The answer is yes. The answer to that is yes. We all have what... Okay, so there are genetics, which is physical heredity, meaning you get it from your parents, etc. Swedenborg says we also have spiritual heredity, and this also comes through bloodline, meaning predispositions to certain kinds of evils. I often give the example of uh, there are some people who never have to worry about stealing. Like, they never get the urge to steal, it never crosses their mind, they're never in a situation where it comes up. Other people have to fight hard not to steal. So, we are all looked at with divine wisdom, which knows our heredity. It knows what you struggle with. Everything is is gauged in light of that. So it might what looks to some of us like, oh, that person's a disaster. They totally messed up their life. It may be they had so much on their plate that what they did, actually, it was a great victory. God knows that. And we just got to assume this person is winning a great victory. Protect yourself accordingly, but look at people with those sort of eyes of heaven. That's my answer to that. Next one. Jake, is it possible that there is one dream experience plane in which multiple realities interact, but have trouble understanding each other? So you mean like we, we meet up with each other in dreams? Is that what you're talking about? We did an episode called Where Dreams Come From, and this, it, it talks a lot about the different ways that we get messages in dreams and why we do or don't understand things. I will say, in the spiritual world, which is dreams, you know, through a process come from there anyway, it's where our thoughts and feelings are. All clarity increases as you rise up levels. There's the most confusion in the world of spirits or, or in, in hell, the lower places. As you get closer to heaven, there's less and less confusion. Um, as far as, like, are we interacting with people on the other side? and having trouble understanding each other. It certainly could be. But there's a, there is a very... Str- like, you do need to know what they're talking about in order to get it. So, I don't know for sure, but I know a few things, and I already said the things I know. So, that's my answer to that. Great. Let's take a look at the next one. Tammy, can a spirit who was your soulmate in life be attached to you in spirit and always be around you? Uh, yes. Swedenborg says that married partners, or as how he puts it, can are still joined after the death of one. So you very much can still be connected. Now, it's not, you know, only if you use that word soulmate. So this is somebody you're very connected to. That That's what stays. If you had like a, a really rough marriage or something like that, you're not necessarily connected to that person. But Swedenborg says certainly there is the potential for that, Tammy. Okay, next. Andre, has Swedenborg ever written anything about ghosts? Um, as Dr. Jonathan Rose said once, who was on this program, for Swedenborg, every day was Halloween. I'm sure I've said that in a show before. He had all kinds of experiences with what we would consider ghosts, like scary, scary sort of spiritual encounters. He had, he could see spiritual world all the time, and so he saw that. However, what I'm, what you're probably talking about, there's sort of a sub-phenomena that people talk about ghosts, which are like, um, some kind of spiritual being that inhabits a particular location, kind of af- is sort of like in the physical and spiritual world at the same. He doesn't really talk much about that in the traditional sense um, uh, of like if you saw like a TV show about ghost hunters or the stories that a lot of people have. He doesn't mention that as much. I mean, there was just the spiritual world and then everything you can see in there, and you can see that if your spiritual eyes are opened, but he didn't really talk about tied to a particular location or, you know, needing something. Like you see in movies, like needing somebody to find something out before they can move on. He, he hints of shades of things like that, but, but doesn't talk about it. You wouldn't, if you were like, oh, I'm hearing sounds uh, in my house, I don't know if you'd really find what you need in Swedenborg. So. That those are my thoughts, other people who read Swedenborg may have a different opinion on that, so check in with them too. Thanks, Andre. Let's take a look at the next one. Barb, is the pain of grief is the pain of grief a spiritual journey? Man, I hope so. like it would be nice to get something out of that. So everything is a spiritual journey. I mean, if you think about what happens after grief, I mean, don't you see the world more deeply after you really, really? known loss. Isn't that with with everything that's really hard? You do gain compassion. You, you understand what people are going through. Uh, it just changes you. Everything that changes you is a spiritual journey. As far as, is it just like, there are specific categories, like these shattering experiences that free you from false things. Swedenborg talks about these shatterings, um, and he says that Certain ones can happen in times of misfortune. Sometimes it is, you can never know for sure, but I'd say look for, the, look for how it changed you for the better. If it did, you know, there, there's that. And it's, I don't think it's like God is saying, this person needs to experience grief, so I'm going to kill this person and then this is going to be... But it's true, we do get separated and nothing happens that good can't come out of. So grief as well you know, you can be growing from that. So those are my thoughts uh, on that. Let's take a look. Let's do a few more here uh, before we all go to bed. Gypsy Rubio, can evil spirits physically possess us? Swedenborg says not, not happening. He says it used to happen, doesn't happen anymore. He says that they can very much possess your thinking and actions, but they can't go as far as, like, they can move your arm and do things. That's his take on it not everybody's, but uh, he says that we, we have a certain freedom that, you know, obviously it gets very compromised. You see people who have, who have really debilitating mental illness of various kinds. You can be very, very, in control of yourself very little, but he says it never gets to the point where it's some other being has completely taken over somebody's body and, and, and has them just obeying their will without the person um, working along with them or something like that. So that's what he says. Good question. Next one. Bonfils did Swedenborg ever talk about the story of David and Goliath? Yes, he did. Um, we could do maybe we we periodically do programs on the story, uh, the stories in the Bible, and what he says about them. He doesn't. I mean, he doesn't go word for word through that one. I don't. I don't know what it means right now, but I do know that those small stones are, that David had in the sling are like little smooth. Uh, truths like truths you understand, so that that I actually think of that metaphor of having a few truths in the mind to combat uh, evil and falsity. So there's something on that, and hopefully maybe we can touch on that uh, that story more as it comes up. Okay, let's do a few more. I always say that, Lisa. I recently watched a story from an ex-Satan worshiper who could astral project and have an OBE at will, out-of-body experience. He said that in the spirit world, evil spirits can make a canopy above that equates to rock. Prayers can be like a puff of smoke, billowing smoke, or raging fire, depending on the person's spiritual state. Only the fire can penetrate the rock to reach heaven. That's why so many prayers seem unanswered. Does Swedenborg ever mention a scenario like this? He doesn't mention something... That particular scenario, but he mentions like that kind of imagery is all over. He talks about smoke and rocks and and things people are doing in their hearts and minds, like praying, um, uh, in being manifested visibly, like as fire or smoke or something like that. So I don't. He doesn't talk about why you know that that particular thing and why, why certain things you pray for don't happen, he talks about how really the only prayers that will be answered are ones for spiritual qualities um, rather than particular events, but he uses that kind of language and that kind of representation all the time. So it very well could be that this guy in Swedenborg, we're we're seeing the same spiritual reality. The language seems very similar to me. So that's my thought on that. We're going to do three more questions here, two more actually. Uh, French Fry. I've seen some writings on the internet that link Swedenborg to spiritualism. Is that true? Yes. I mean, spiritual. he's often mentioned alongside spiritualism. I mean, you guys know the, uh, the content of Swedenborg, how he writes. People have put him in different categories. You'll find links all over. Um, and I'm not even sure what you mean in particular by spiritualism here. I know there's a, there's a particular definition for it, but um, you'll find some people placing him in all kinds of, of categories. So um, I, I don't know exactly what that means in this context, so that's going to be my answer, is maybe, you know, read the articles, does it jive with what you know of Swedenborg? You will find a lot of misinformation about him out there. You'll, you'll just, I, I've come across some things that really, I was like, oh man, did they read them at all? But they they said, Swedenborg did this. Like, what's your source for that? So, that's my thought on that. Sorry, I didn't have more. One more. Antoinette. If I was married twice, who would I be with in heaven? Suppose none of them was the best fit. It, it, all, it all makes sense. You know, the, the world Swedenborg describes is, is human, it's humane, it makes sense. Meaning, if you're married to somebody who you didn't get along with, you don't have to be with them in the spiritual world. If none of the people you were married to you get along with, you don't have to be with one of them." He actually describes that exact scenario where somebody who had been married multiple times went, spent time with each of the partners, and then if none of them were a fit, they go find somebody else. So that's the only thing that makes rational sense, right? I mean, anything else would be weird. So what I the takeaway for me is everything has smart love behind it. God is not going to do arbitrary things that don't make sense. So yeah, you will, Antoinette, eventually be with just the perfect person for you, whether it's somebody you were married to or not. And everybody winds up happy. There's not like somebody's like, I wish it could have worked out. Everybody sees the bigger picture, understands what compatibility really is, and and sees that there's the best place for everyone available there. So we're all going to end up just fine. And that's the message for today. We're all going to end up just fine. As I said, next week we're going to talk about Jesus Christ. Christmas is coming up, and Swedenborg has a lot to say. And next week we're going to look at why did the whole Jesus thing happen? Why was Jesus Christ born? And how did it save the human race? So tune in then. Nice to see you. Hope you have a great week.